You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning. Hello. How are you guys doing? I am, I am Greg Carter. I am the worship pastor here. Most weeks I get to be on the worship team. This week I get to teach about the power of words as we continue the series called Sticks and Stones in which we are challenged to more carefully weigh the impact of every word that we speak. And you may be wondering, why is the new music guy preaching about words, right? Why is Greg Carter, worship pastor from California who's new here, why is he preaching this week? And the answer is, I don't quite know. I'm not sure why. I don't know. Let me tell you what happened. So this is what happened. A couple months ago, I was in a sermon planning meeting, and uh, we have this secret internal document that shows the sermon series coming up, and it shows the dates and the sermons that are planned and who is speaking. And a couple months ago, I saw a new sermon series pop up. It was called The Power of the Tongue at the time. And right away when I saw it, I got this nervous feeling. I'm not sure why. I just felt nervous. I felt my heart drop into my stomach. I just had this, this sense like, Greg, you're going to be preaching that series I don't know why I felt connected to it. But I was like, I don't want to, not yet. I'm not ready for it. And there's even this, this verse in James chapter 3 that says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Another translation says, don't be in any rush to preach. And I'm like, I'm not. I'm not in any rush. I'm not. And yet, it was that feeling I've had uh, many times before. It was that nudging of the Holy Spirit, that still, small voice that said, step up, rise up, and let the whole of your life be an expression of worship in which you say yes to whatever I call you to. But still, I was like, no. I didn't, and so I didn't say anything. So I went home that night. I just kind of forgot about it. I went home that night, and at, at nighttime, uh, I was uh, lifting weights, working out. That's been a part of my routine, and even a rhythm of my spiritual practice is to lift weights at home. I have home gym equipment, and I play worship music through the speakers, and those, that worship music plays throughout the room that I'm in. I love listening to live worship sets from other churches. You know, recently, Gus, our production director, has been streaming our worship sets I like listening to worship sets from other churches. I play that through the speakers. But at the same time, I put my headphones in and I listen to a sermon or a talk about worship. And I have these two things going on. I'm just filling my heart with some good stuff, filling with the word, just be reconnecting and lifting weights. And there's something about lifting weights that clears your mind and then listening to worship music and a sermon or a talk about worship. And that, that fills your mind with the right stuff. And it's been an important part of my routine, a rhythm of spiritual practice for the last three or four years. And it's weird. Sometimes, not too often, but sometimes this weird thing happens when I'm lifting weights, listening to worship music and a sermon. Um, what happens is the sermon in my headphones fades to a distant, muffled backdrop, and the worship does as well. It all fades, and it's like I have clarity of mind, and it's like I receive like what I should, how I should handle a certain situation. It's like I get a download from God. That's what it feels like. 
There's a, there might be a difficult conversation that I have to have. I'm not sure how to approach it. And in those moments, it's like, Greg, this is what you're supposed to say. And with love and with spiritual maturity and with patience, this is how you approach it. And sometimes, in those times I've also had where I'll be talking, I'm supposed to talk in church the next day. I'm not sure what I'm going to say. And then during those moments, the music fades, the sermon fades, and it's like I get sentence by sentence of this is what you're supposed to say, and now go do it. And I know it's about the clarity of mind and just filling my mind with God's word. And that happened this night, the night I heard about this series. I'm lifting weights about halfway through. Everything fades. And all the, it's like I got this download. I'm not trying to think about it. I'm just receiving all these memories, these examples of how words have impacted my life, of the people who spoke words over my life, people who spoke in words of encouragement that breathed life into my soul. All this was coming at me. I thought about my fourth grade teacher, went all the way back to Mr. Donahue. See, he met with my mom at a parent-teacher conference, and they talked about math and science and English. And then he said, Greg is so gentle and so kind, I can tell he's going to be a good father someday and a good husband. And it's, it's where those words have replayed in my mind at least a hundred times. They replay in my mind. They have burrowed themselves deep into the core of who I am and my identity. And I think about those words. Am I living up to those words? But those words are spoken and they are still with me. And some words are so powerful, they will stay with you for the rest of your lives. The, uh, the poet Maya Angelou said, words are things that get stuck in the carpet. They get in the upholstery. They get in the rugs. They get in your clothing. And finally, they get into you. And she's being poetic. You know, she's saying that words have a way of burrowing themselves down into the deep part of who you are into your self-identity. They infuse themselves into how you see yourself. They absorb through your skin. They intertwine with your self-image. Some words are so powerful and so permanent that they might as well be a permanent tattoo that someone placed on you, that someone etched and marked into the core of who you are. That's how powerful words can be. I was thinking about, about all this, and now I have two girls, two daughters. Cadence is 11, Kinsey is 7. I was thinking as a father how powerful my words are. There's a lot of weight to my words. As I speak to them, I could encourage them. I could say words that uplift them, that might help them live to the fullness of who they are supposed to be. But also I could, in possibilities, I could be careless with my words. I could emotionally scar them with my words, just very few words. I could hurt them. Things could stick on them for the rest of their life. I could permanently tattoo, mark, etch something on them that will stay with them for the rest of their lives. And I was thinking about all this as I was doing curls, lifting weights, exercising. I thought about my wife and how her love language is words of affirmation. And so my words are so powerful, I could say four, five, six words in a day and make her day better, or at least make her day 27% better. I could say words that would give her more confidence, make her feel more beautiful as she looked in the mirror. That's how powerful my words are. I thought about that. I thought about all the words, the encouraging words that have been spoken into my life about worship leading. I went back through my phone. This was texted to me in 2017. It came at a time when I needed to hear words of encouragement. I went back through my phone and I found this. It was 
It was texted by a mentor and a friend. He said, outside of church, I don't really enjoy worship music. It means so much more at church. And this isn't just because you and the band make it beautiful. It's because you and the band make it authentic. While the talent of your group is admirable, the authenticity of the love for our Lord is amazing. Keep up the good work. It's like pretty simple words through text messages, and I've thought about those words over and over again. Over the last couple of years, they've replayed in my mind, and, and they have burrowed themselves deep into the core of, of how I see myself in my calling and as I lead worship. And finally, while lifting weights, I thought about my time here at Real Life and the encouraging words that I've received through prayer, through text, through email, and spoken words of encouragement. People have spoken life. So I, I'm receiving all this, like one big giant download, and it's like God is saying, this is what you're supposed to talk about. And still, I wasn't quite sure. And so I went to uh, the, the sermon meeting the next week, and I didn't say anything. And then two and three weeks go by, and still that schedule had no names attached to it. There was no one scheduled to preach on this week. And I knew exactly why, because I was supposed to preach this week. And we got closer and closer to this date, and there was no name scheduled to that, that sermon. And I didn't say anything, and four weeks go by, and Josh, at this point, is hinting at the idea of me preaching sometime, and I didn't say anything. And then finally, by the fifth week, he said, Greg, when are you going to preach? You know, you don't have to wait for the, the worship series. And at that point, I was like, okay, I think for some reason I'm supposed to speak about the power of words, about speaking life, and about taming the tongue. And so he scheduled it, and here I am. As part of that, that download, as part of those thoughts, I was reminded of this mental image that I've thought about, about the, about the church, about the church body being like a forest of trees, a forest of these different trees, different species, different kinds of trees. And when you walk through a forest, it seems like every tree is its own individual. Every tree is its own organism, its own entity. But when you look underneath the soil, underneath the surface, they're all connected. They're touching, they're interlocking, they're fusing together. And those trees share, share food and they share disease underneath the soil. And there are scientists who study this. They study the complex web, the complex network of roots underneath the soil. And they did this study where they would inject food into one tree, nutrients and minerals into one tree, and that the nutrients and minerals would go up into the tree and the branches and the leaves would make that tree a little bit healthier. But also, that food, the nutrients and minerals would go down into the soil, into the roots, and that tree would share it with other trees. And it would, it would wind up in a tree 47 feet over this way and 55 feet over this way in a group of trees back there. And it ended up in 47 different trees from that one injection of food. And they did that with, with poison as well. They injected uh, radioactive particles into one tree and it went up into that one tree, into the branches and the leaves, and it had its way with that one tree. And also that poison went down into the roots and that tree shared it through the root system with other trees, with three trees over here and five trees over here. And it ended up in like 99 different trees all through that underground underlying root system. And I thought about that in the church that we seem like we're all our own individuals. We're all going about our own lives and our own ministries. We seem like we're our own 
individuals and organisms, but there is this underlying social and spiritual root system that connects us all. And so when we speak life, words of death, that spreads like an undetected poison. And I've seen this. I've seen how words of death have been spoken in a church community and how that spreads and it affects somebody over here and five people over here and a ministry over there. And it all seems disconnected, but that poison spreads. It's subtle. It's undetected. But I've seen how that can make a church sickly. It could bring down a church. And sometimes it comes from the top down, those words of death and that poison. And it can even become normal. And people just accepted that this is what we do. We share that poison. And there's a, there's a story, an example I want to share. It, uh, this was about two or three years ago. You know, I came uh, from an ecosystem, a forest that had more poison than it had nutrients. It had more words of death than words of life. And you can only survive in that environment for so long before it starts to bring you down, before it starts to drain you of your life source, drain you of your motivation and your drive and your conviction, where you forget what your calling is. You know, words of death may not kill a person, but they may kill something inside of someone. And I was at that point, and no one knew it, but I I was at a point, I wasn't sure how I was going to muster up the energy, the creative energy, the passion, the drive to continue leading worship one more week. I I really didn't see how I was going to do it. And that week, I was at a church event. There was about 40 people there. I talked to different people, and I talked to this one person. This conversation lasted for less than a minute. And this person spoke some encouraging words, really basic words. In so many words, it was, Greg, I see the Lord working through you. I see what you're doing. I appreciate your ministry. Keep up the good work. It was really that short and probably more basic. And it's funny, my love language is not even words of affirmation. But somehow I could feel the nutrients, I could feel the life kind of stirring up, reviving and those are basic words. And it seems like it would have taken a lot more. It seems like the point I was at, it would have taken a lot more than some basic words of encouragement that lasted for 30 seconds. But that was all that it took, and I was off and running again. I had enough drive, enough life to continue leading worship. And just think about the cause and effect of that. No one else heard those words. That person probably forgot about those words after they spoke them. And yet he spoke life into a worship leader who then sang and spoke life over the church. And no one saw the cause and effect, but it went through this underlying root system. And over and over again, I saw how words of death and worth of life, words of life work that way. And I came from that environment to this environment, to real life. And this is a different church. This is not a perfect church, but it's a healthy church there's some good, strong leaves and branches, and it's a culture of encouragement. And I've re- received words of life and encouragement. And a couple examples. Uh, I, uh, I came here to visit in August. I was here for five days. I led worship. And after the Sunday service, I sat right here on the stage. And a lady who goes to the church named Marilyn Lewis prayed for me. She put her hand on me and prayed for revival for a passion to stir, for the Holy Spirit to work through me and through the church. 
I felt life, nutrients, minerals flowing through. I felt the holy embrace of this is where you're supposed to be. And think about the power of words and prayer. Not just words uh, that we uh, close our eyes and bow our heads to, but that spirit-filled, anointed prayer of words of, from someone who is in line with the Holy Spirit you know, speaks those Holy Spirit words and there's power in those words, powers of life. There's, an, there's a guy here named Tim Egger who sends scripture and devotion through text messages and he sends this to some of the guys in the church. And these are words of encouragement right from the Bible and a devotion. And it's to strengthen, to encourage his fellow warriors to battle another battle, live another day. And I find encouragement through those words sent through text messages I've received emails, and I've even got words and received words from people who seem to have the spiritual gift of encouragement and of words, and when they say something to you, it lingers around in your mind, and it kind of swirls around, and you think about it, and you let it soak in to the very core of who you are happily. There's something very beautiful and precious and fragile about a church community And uh, there was a guy in the first century named Paul who wrote letters to different small churches, early churches around the first century, around the Roman Empire. And he wanted to make sure that we were encouraging each other. This is one of the things he wrote. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as you're already doing. It's so important. Life is tough. People are persecuted out there, chased away from their homeland. Life is difficult. You guys need to come together, strengthen each other, build each other up in the word and of who you are and the work of God in your lives. Build each other. It doesn't just mean positive words all the time. It doesn't mean just puppy dogs and rainbows. It could be words of correction, tough words sometimes, but it's to build each other up, to encourage. He also says this, And never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. He wants to make sure these early churches survive because they could easily divide, they could easily crumble. He's writing to those early churches, he's writing to us to encourage, build each other up. Don't let hateful words come out of our mouths. And in the first century, there's another guy named James. Most scholars believe this was James, the brother of Jesus, who's writing this letter, and is now called James, this letter. And he takes a different angle. He's saying, be very careful with your words. They are so destructive. They could harm every area of your life. They could destroy your marriage, your church, your relationships, be very careful with those words before they come out of, before they come out of your mouth. He says your tongue is is small, relatively small, but it could it could change the course, the direction of your life, which is a couple words. Your tongue seems small, but with one word you could light a spark that could turn into a flame, that could turn into a fire, that could burn through your marriage, through your relationships, through your church. He says this. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. 
and is itself set on fire by hell. It seems like James has seen the destructive power of words. Or like I've seen it as an undetected, subtle poison that slowly kills a church. James is saying this could spread as fast as a fire and just incinerate it with a couple hurtful, insensitive words that can start a spark, starts a flame that starts an inferno that will burn through whatever you've built up in your life. Be very careful with those words. And then we get to this passage about taming your tongue. It says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, they've been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He's saying our tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison, but you can't tame it. He says we've got to be careful, but you can't tame your tongue. I was talking to someone recently who said they are trying really hard with their own effort, their own strategy, their own method to tame their tongue because naturally, he said, his thoughts are naturally um, destructive. In his mind, he is cutting people down. His natural thought pattern is to think cynically, critically, but he's trying really hard not to say those words. And that's pretty good. That's a good first step to taming your tongue. But that poison is still inside of you. You're just not releasing it. It's like walking around with a loaded gun with your finger on the trigger. And James says, it's going to come out. If that ugliness, those words of destruction, those words of death are swirling around in your mind, they're going to come out when you're cranky, when you're hungry. When your spouse or coworker says the wrong thing, those words are going to come out. And even if they didn't, people can read that on you. Some people can. If you have that ugliness in your mind, you're thinking all of those critical, cynical words of death in your mind, people can read that on you. That can't be the highest calling of spiritual maturity and all that we're supposed to live in as followers of Christ. That can't be all there is. It's just that we tame our tongue. So I'm going to share two verses. First, this one. And this shows the tension that we're living in. This is the puzzle. This is uh, the thing we have to wrestle with on a daily basis. And in James chapter 1, he says, If you claim to be a religious, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. That's so direct. It seems rude that that's written in the Bible. What do you mean our religion is worthless? I've met, lead, I've met lead pastors who have no control of their tongue. I've met worship leaders and all kinds of Christian, Christians who have no control of their tongue. And this is saying your religion is worthless. James is saying that if you are a follower of Christ, if your mind has been renewed, if your heart has been transformed, if the Holy Spirit is within you, if you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, that should be reflected on the words that you speak. It should be reflected on how you treat other people. That should look a certain way on someone. That's what James is saying. But then here's the puzzle. These two verses together. If you don't control your tongue, your religion is worthless, but no human being can tame the tongue. Two chapters away from each other in the same book, James writes... 
You have to control your tongue, but you can't. No human being can. So is this, what is a, is a paradox of scripture? Is this a, a mystery of the Bible? It is an impossible puzzle. What do we do with this? Are we set up to fail? Do we just give up? Do we just, uh, do we do like that song said earlier, do we let my words be few and fewer and fewer until we stop talking? Is that how we tame the tongue? He says no human being really on their own effort with their own strategy can tame the tongue. And so we look to Jesus. We see what Jesus has to say about it. Jesus says it's a heart issue. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Saying if there's destructive words coming out of your mouth, there's something going on deep inside of you. Now, in in scriptures, in the Hebrew culture, the heart was not just the organ that pumps blood. The heart was the center of who you are. It was the very core of your being, of your existence. It was the spiritual hub and everything flowed from it. So he's saying if destructive, hurtful, ugly words are coming out of your mouth, there's a problem deep down in your heart, right? If you speak on a regular basis, critical, harsh, angry, mean words, what does that say about your heart? What's going on deep in the very core and the very center of who you are? Is there bitterness stored away down there? Is there resentfulness, issues of forgiveness? What is it that's causing those thoughts to creep up to your mind and then, and then out your mouth? Another translation says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what do we do about this? What do we do about our heart? Is there a practical application? Is there an easy fix? No, there's not an easy fix. We can't just at the end of service pray, God, transform my heart, make me new, and then passively go about our lives expecting a change. We can't just sing a song at the end of service It says, God, change me from the inside out, make me new, transform my heart, and then passively go about our lives hoping that we're changed. For a, a transformed heart, for a renewed mind, it takes a spiritual discipline of minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, surrendering our thoughts, those negative, cynical thoughts that will become words of death. We surrender, when those pop up, You confess them, you surrender them, and say, God, take this from me. I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm like this. I surrender it to you. I can't do this on my own. Transform my heart, help me. So that the Holy Spirit is on every thought, every word that I say. You see it as a prayer, not just at the end of service, but minute after minute, day after day, it's a daily discipline to surrender that to the Lord, saying, yeah, I can't do this on my own. James says we can't do it. No human being can do it, but we surrender it to the Lord. And that seems exhausting, right? All the time, surrendering that, praying that, confessing that. Yeah, it might be exhausting because disciplines are exhausting at first. It's not an easy fix. We surrender it. Also, I would ask, what are we filling our hearts with? The problem starts with our heart. What are we filling our hearts with? What is it that we're storing up in our hearts? What are, we, what are those things that we're allowing to seep into the very core of who we are? Right, are, we, are we reading the word? 
Are you, um, there's a psalm that says, Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who loves God's word, who meditates on it day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of living water. So his roots, his roots are going down into that rich soil, soaking up the nutrients and the minerals, and he's becoming healthy. Not overnight, not with one reading of the Bible, but through a, a rhythm of spiritual practice, spiritual discipline, he's reading, he's soaking it in, he's storing it. Maybe he's even working out as he does it. He's soaking in those nutrients, those minerals. Slowly over time, he's becoming healthy. Those branches, those leaves are becoming healthy and strong. And what flows out of him are words of life. Just naturally, his thoughts are words of life and therefore his words are words of life. So I would ask, what are we storing up in our heart? Do you have that regular practice of just filling and storing up your heart with something good, something holy, noble, praiseworthy, spirit-filled, Do you have that routine where you're storing up your heart? And finally, I would encourage you to replace those critical thoughts and those critical words with encouraging thoughts and encouraging words. Some of you may have to uh, retrain your brain, rewire your neural pathways to start thinking positive. Some people might, maybe your, your thoughts just go negative When something comes up, you just go right to the negative, you pick it apart, you're critical, you tear it down, you complain. I challenge you to make it a habit to encourage, to see those things that are admirable about what others are doing in your life and in the church. When you see it, when you think it, speak it. Speak those words of life. Lift someone up. You don't know uh, where they're at. You don't know if they're on that, that final day if they're about to quit, quit life or quit ministry. And Paul says, encourage, build one another up. And not shallow encouragement, not I like your shoes. It is, I see the work of God and what you're doing. I'm so happy that you're here. It's that holy embrace of the Father manifested through our words. I see you. I'm so happy that you're here. You're doing God's work. The Lord is a wonderful maker and he's made a masterpiece. He's made a work of art and I'm blessed to see it and be a part of it. I'm blessed to see it in that church, in our church. And just watch as you encourage how that affects and softens and changes your heart, not right away, but over time as that becomes part of your spiritual discipline. See how it changes and slowly transforms your heart and see how those people will flourish just a little bit more and rise up to all that God wants for them. And so finally, as we lead into communion, just remind us that James says we cannot tame our tongue on our own effort, our own strategy, our own plans, our own knowledge, our own wisdom. But God longs for us to partner with him and his work in this life and our lives and so we submit, we surrender every thought. When it, when it rises up, we submit it. We fill our hearts with God's word and with things that are lovely, holy, pure. And we encourage one another, as Paul says, build each other up, encourage, so that we may be a healthy church and that we may be spiritually mature and healthy ourselves. So right now, we're about to partake in one of our rhythms of spiritual practice, and that's communion and also worship. 
And so I'm going to go over some questions that may help us process and think about this. Last week, Josh talked about Proverbs 18.21, about words of life and words of death. And so here are two categories. Words of death may be critical thoughts, critical words, complaining words, harsh, resentful, angry, negative words, judgmental words. And then words of life may be encouraging, uplifting, tender, kind, gracious, positive, compassionate words. And the question is, which of these columns best describes the way you talk to people most often in most situations? And another way to approach this, if you were to give this list to your friends, your family, your coworkers, and you had them circle the column that best describes the words that you speak, what would they circle? Another way to approach this is what about your thoughts? What about those, those thoughts that creep up from your heart into your mind? Are they more words of life, thoughts of life, or thoughts of death? What are you thinking most often? Maybe you're pretty good at taming your tongue. Maybe people think you're a sweet person, but on the inside, you're poison. Which one of those columns best describes the thoughts that pop up in your mind? Another question, when you think about the words that have been spoken over your life, do you recall more positive or negative words? And then how is this reflected in the type of words you use most often? You know, I wonder if there is a correlation sometimes between the words that have been injected into your hearts and then, and then therefore the words that you inject into others. Maybe, maybe some of you, for some of you, it's, it's words have been injected, poisonous words of death have been injected into your hearts and it's been stirring around in there, eating its way, having its way in your heart. And when you speak words now, it is traced with poison. Maybe you're not even aware of it. But I wonder if there's a correlation between the words that have been spoken. Is it still in there? Do you need to release that, surrender that to the Lord as well? Those words that are eating away at you. Another question, if the people around you depend on your words for nourishment, are they dying of malnutrition or are they thriving? As we speak words of life, words of death, or just no words? This hits home. Like I said, my wife, her love language is words of affirmation. And so there's a lot of power to my words, but it's hard for me to comprehend that there's that much power to my words. I feel like with my words, I have to write this long letter that cost me something that's creative and original and poetic. And at the end of it, I feel spent. And there's like tears coming down in my eyes in a coffee shop as I'm writing it like a weirdo. I feel like that, that my words are not powerful, so I have to like just give all of this for my words to mean anything, but that's not the truth. That words are so powerful, it just takes three, four, or five a day. So how am I doing with those simple words of nourishment? And then finally, what spiritual practice, practices, rhythms of spiritual discipline have you developed and maintain that keep you open and available to God? Do you have that thing not just church on Sunday, but that regular thing in which you are reconnecting to the Lord, storing up that good stuff in your heart. It may not be lifting weights and listening to worship music in a sermon. You may have your own thing, and sometimes you have to search for it. And sometimes it changes from season to season, year to year, and you've got to find that new thing that becomes a regular discipline where you are reconnecting, hearing from the Lord, storing up that good stuff in your heart. 
What are those rhythms of spiritual discipline in your life? So important. There's no easy fix. This happens through spiritual discipline over and over again, day after day. So right now, we're going to partake in a rhythm of spiritual discipline. That's communion. We take this together. If, um, if you're a, a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you, even if you don't go to this church, to take this, take communion with us. So let's take the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember him. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember him. Let's pray. So Lord, I pray that this would be a church, a healthy church that sees the value in speaking life, is very careful with our words, knowing the power of every word that we speak, that we would be a church that loves building each other up, looking for the value in others, knowing that life is tough. There are difficult situations and struggles everywhere, and so we come together, we strengthen, we encourage, we build one another up. Lord, and I pray that we, that you would increase in us the hunger and the appetite for your word and those things that are holy and noble and lovely and praiseworthy, that we, you would increase the hunger for those things, that we would store it up our heart, that that would become a regular routine in the minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, we would store up those things in our life and your word and our roots would soak it up and that new, the nutrients and minerals would just make us healthy and strong and vibrant and that we would just share that, that life with others. And Holy Spirit, would you heal those hearts that have that poison stirring around? There are those words that were spoken now those words have burrowed themselves deep down to the core of who we are. Would you heal us? Would you restore us? Would you renew our mind? We pray that over and over again. Would you transform our heart? Lord, we thank you for all that you've done and all that you are. That's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.